This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey Ren, I was thinking, do you own any of the massive companies in the US? No, nah, mate, none of them. Yeah, why is that? Too expensive. I mean, Berkshire Hathaway goes for like $290,000 a share. Amazon is like $1,500 for one share. Hell, I can't even afford Netflix at 300 bucks a share. Yeah, well, instead of waiting around for a pay rise, there's no need for that anymore because our friends over at Stake, they've solved this problem for you. Really? Tell me more. So Stake is the simplest way to trade US shares. It's a new Australian company that's just started up and they give you access to over 3,000 stocks and ETFs over in the US and they offer you $0 brokerage. You can also buy partial shares, meaning, Ren, that you can finally buy $100 worth of Amazon if you really want to. And you know what the best part is? What's the best part? Now we've teamed up with Stake over here at Equity Mates. That's you and me, Ren. And we're giving our listeners the ability to sign up with Stake and get $25 in their account to get them started. So if they head to equitymates.com forward slash Stake, S-T-A-K-E, sign up and fund their account, Stake's going to swing them 25 bucks into their trading account to get them on their way. So that's free brokerage, the ability to buy partial shares, so you don't have to spend 1500 bucks on an Amazon share. You can buy $100 worth if you, st- if you really wanted to, and 25 bucks to get you going. Mate, you're almost halfway there to a Berkshire Shire Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> Berkshire Shire Hathaway. <laughs> Mate, with that free 25 bucks, I could get 0.01% of a Berkshire share for free. I mean, it's a, it's, an, it's a win-win situation, really. You know what? I reckon if I held that 0.01% of a Berkshire share for like 80 years, I'd be set for life. I'd retire in luxury. Well, get started. Yeah, I'm going to right now. Equitymates.com forward slash stake. Stake, S-T-A-K-E. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is We're here in the BetaShares offices for our third part in the three-part series that we've done with them, focusing on exchange-traded funds or ETFs. If you haven't listened to the first two, uh, definitely go back and listen to them as we speak to one of the founders of the company and a very intelligent and insightful uh, man, Elon. Uh, he discusses ETF 101s and gives us a bit of background into uh, BetaShares, the company itself. So fantastic two interviews. Go back and listen to them. So this evening, we're joined by Adam, who uh, I'll let him give himself an introduction. Uh, but today, we're going to be talking about three very exciting concepts. We're going to be talking about investing in tomorrow. We're going to look at tech giants, hackers, and environmental sustainability. So three massive industries that positioned correctly uh, and with a, a bit of research, these three industries we believe uh, are going to offer some great growth potential. I mean, they already have been, but 
in terms of investing for the future is a very exciting space. So based on what we've heard about Adam and uh, what we, some of the content that we've been going through with him, this is going to be a very exciting uh, next 40 minutes or so. So Adam, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and what you do at BetaShares? I'm, uh, I guess my, my title is Manager of Distribution and Capital Markets, but I think what that really means is basically I think with my role, I, um, I talk largely to our broker and, and IFA intermediary groups on a day-to-day basis. Also do a little bit with um, with retail and clients, talking at a few of the SMS seminars and, and things like that. Do you just want to give us a brief background into yourself? What, what did you study? Uh, how did you end up in beta shares? Yeah, so I, um, I did law and, and commerce at university. Decided very early that I definitely didn't want to be a lawyer. Yeah. So went down the commerce track. I started out with um, with Bell Potter, or one of the, I guess, larger broking firms um, in the country. Went through the DA and associate advisor and advising shoot clients and SMS clients there actually worked quite closely with the beta shares guys in the early days. NASDAQ when it launched was actually I jumped straight on board. It's it's one of my was always one of my core portfolio holdings with guys that I was talking to and, and in my own um, portfolio. So it's sort of a, a natural um, thing that I find uh, quite easy to talk about mm-hmm. with clients and um, yeah so I guess progressed into into this role and I guess a lot of what I do as opposed to talking to end clients is talking to the advisors who advise those clients and you know I think Alan probably mentioned but we're seeing you know a big transition in that world away from single stock picking mm-hmm. and, and and strictly you know broking based to, to more fee based holistic advice models and what you've got with ETFs which is I think you know one of the big advantages the access to diversification type of thing that we're always talking about is particularly for advisors and their clients it's allowed them to build a lot more robust portfolios mm. so very much my role is, is talking to advisors and, and communicating ideas to them about how they might be able to use certain ETFs to, to build out these client portfolios in asset allocations to Australian equities, global equities, I think you're talking about some of the fixed income using things like the short ETFs as a hedge. There's a lot of ways that they can utilise these things to really create a lot more robust portfolios and say they might have been the 80s, 90s where a lot of it was just, you know, large cap equities and and small cap equities and diversification was having stocks you help. So the first big theme that we want to talk about is technology, which seems particularly relevant for you because you were saying that you jumped on uh, the beta shares NDQ ETF early in the piece. Yeah. So maybe to start this conversation, why did you jump on it so early? What attracted you to that particular ETF and the NASDAQ as an exchange? Yeah, well, I think I think if I talk about it that way, it's also talking about how I'm seeing other advisors using it. Okay. Because I think how I'm using it is, is a bit of a roadmap. And I think if you look at the way that we naturally invest in Australia, when I was taking a look at the portfolios that I was looking at, and then when I talk to advisors about the portfolios that they're looking at, you're naturally heavily invested in Australia in our large cap equity market. A lot of Australian investors are invested for, for income. Yeah, and you know, a lot of offshore investors actually invest in Australia for income. We do have one of the highest dividend yields globally, right? But if you actually take a take a look at our market, it's it's very unique from a global standpoint. Mm. We have 
four big banks, about 50% weighting the financials when you broaden that out. You got a couple of massive miners, some energy companies in there, a few ARX staple securities, two supermarkets, and there's your top 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, and, and they have been great, great stocks for a long time. They definitely show growth, you know, particularly you know, the property boom, the sort of residential mortgage lenders, BHP and Rio, you know, they, mm-hmm. they have their ups and downs, they're quite cyclical. But they've Telstra even performed for a long time for the kind of investors that were in them for a while. But the reason that I guess attracted me to NASDAQ is it's giving you exposure to looking out the windshield and trying to position your portfolio for the future. And the kind of companies that are in the NASDAQ really are the kind of companies that you just don't have in Australia. And that's not saying that Australia doesn't have any growth. Our, our, our index X20 actually performed very, very well last year. And we've got an X20 fund that did over 20%. So there's definitely growth here, but it's I think they're in isolated pockets and they're not really in a diversified way. What I want exposure to is I want exposure to the big companies and the big themes that, if I look down the track, are going to be dominant in the world that I see. We should just say I don't think we specifically mentioned that the, the NDQ is um, what we're discussing is uh, the top 100 companies on, on the NASDAQ. Yeah. So top 100 companies on the NASDAQ by market cap. So look, you end up with Apple, Amazon, Facebook, yeah. Google. The big ones. That they tend to decide a lot of the fortunes yeah. of the index, really. I mean, outside of that, it does actually have a lot of interesting things in it. Um, away from what I'm talking about, a lot of innovation in medicinal medicines. I mean, anyone who owns CSL knows what they've done recently. We've got one stock in Australia. They've got an index that's full of them. You actually break, go down the index further and some of the real, you know, you're looking at NVIDIA, mm. gaming chips, mm. Activision, Blizzard. Mm. Um, there's a lot of that esports exposure in there, which mm. I've always found quite interesting in terms yeah. of broader long-term thematics as we're talking about. Mm. But, I mean, the guys that are, that are really driving the performance here and I think the ones that you want as a core exposure, and this is what I talk about NASDAQ as. NASDAQ, NASDAQ because of the companies that it holds and the size of them, they're core exposures. You're not just investing them as tech. Um, yeah, I think... Right. The five biggest companies in the world are your five biggest companies on NASDAQ now. So, I mean, and, and I just don't think you know, that's in a position to really change anytime soon. These guys are exceptionally dominant. Amazon basically destined to win because anyone playing against it, they're, if they're playing poker, Amazon's got all the chips. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, we saw it recently. Facebook's essentially, Facebook's essentially killed Snapchat. Yeah. It's a Snapchat story feature. Yeah. Anyone who's been on Instagram yeah, knows that. that you just put your Instagram story up now. Yeah. Um, was it Kylie Jenner effectively crashed Snapchat yeah, yeah. with a tweet? <laughs> yeah. Who still uses this? Yeah. yeah. Plummeted. So they sort of have that ability to to go in, see what someone else is doing, and just put it on their platform. So when you look ahead and you look at the themes driving this mm. technological dominance, do you see those themes extending into the future, or do you see the the disruptors being disrupted. No, 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 definitely. So I'll probably take this in terms of um, it, it's all about data, and it's all about the you know the big digital we call it the digital platform companies Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon. They control the data. Um, it's it's a pretty common phrase now. I mean, I think the Economist coins that saying um, you know data is the new oil. So the world's most valuable resource is is no longer oil but data. These guys they control your data. Apple knows everything you do on your phone. Google knows your search habits. Amazon knows your your shopping habits. Yeah. Facebook 
Facebook's news platform. Yeah. You do. So it's all about data. And I think when you you look at the tech world and you look at where we're at now, we're sort of in this fundamental shift. And I think we're moving into this phase now where these guys start to really take control. So about every decade, there's one of these shifts. If you look back, there was, you know, called it the PC hardware era where, you know, IBM, there's a um, PC on every desk. Was that thing? Then we moved into the smartphone. Mm-hmm. And now the smartphone, smartphone penetration, I mean, every, the average person spends five hours a day on their smartphone. <laughs> and there was, a, you know, there was the smartphone wars and, and Apple ended up, Apple and Android ended up winning that. Yeah, they're the only two operating systems now. Now they say we're moving to the sort of the cloud data era. And this is where it starts to get interesting. For these guys, it's because data really controls everything that's that's moving forward mm. from here. I mean, you've got the emergence of the Internet of Things where everything's connected. The Internet of Things for, is, is basically a, a way to talk about your, your Fitbit, talking to your phone, mm. just all these different devices talking to one another. The, I think the interesting thing with that is, you know, they, they're going through this phase where you talk about, you know, services revenue for them. I think Apple's latest earnings was the interesting one where their services revenue jumped 30% year on year from the March quarter. So Apple's now, iPhone sales are stagnating, but they're now being able to use their data to just create all this subscription revenue. I'm guilty of it. I went to move to the iPhone X and there was so much data on my iPhone because I've got eight years worth of photos. Yeah, on. Yeah. Couldn't back it up onto my computer because it's 60 gig worth of data. And so you sit in there and you go, okay, so I paid from cloud. Yeah. And now I'm just using iCloud and yeah. I've not even noticed it. And my photos update automatically and I'm just paying. I have a Spotify subscription, a Netflix yeah, yeah. subscription. I'm just subscribed to everything. Amazon yeah. Web Services as well. Like they're incredibly dominant now. Oh, absolutely. And that's where they're moving to yeah. is, you know, Amazon, Amazon's smart. You know, they were the fifth biggest spender on television production last year in the US. Really? Like a lot guys, of their rings. These guys, and, uh, a lot of the rings, they're diversifying their revenue stream. So this yeah. is where it starts to get interesting for these guys. Google's probably the, the, the real interesting case here because the only thing they've ever, they've probably scratched, barely scratched the sides of what they can do. The only thing they've ever monetized is search engine advertising, really, mm, yeah. and using your search habits to advertise to you. But now they're on YouTube. And think and, and think about YouTube. So the advertising industry globally is a $500 billion industry. YouTube currently captures $6 billion of that. I mean, that's it. They have so much capacity mm. with YouTube to dominate the TV landscape mm. that they have just this huge pool of revenue. Going Honestly, so Facebook just bought the World Surfing League, right? Really? Yeah. yeah. Facebook Facebook now own the world. The, te- the television rights to the World Surfing League. <laughs> wow. I will, I, would, I would take a bet from anyone that within the next, either the Soccer World Cup or the Olympics before 2025 will be owned by YouTube. Yeah. Without yeah. Or Amazon will come in. And Someone will buy it. Yeah. And, and it'll be all on the line. And it'll be all online. And so this is disrupting everything. Yeah. So they're disrupting the TV industry. And I talk about, and this is where we're talking about positioning the future, mm. is because if these guys are disrupting everything you do, it, it, it creates disruption across everything. One of the best things I talk with, with the advertising thing, right? You can advertise on Google, or Google YouTube, Facebook in an exceptionally targeted way. These guys have so much personal information about you that your internet's essentially personalized, right? And that's the whole thing about all this data is that it tailors it to you. So where all these 
big defensive companies built consumer brands around their ability to just dominate share of voice. Um, think of Procter & Gamble, right? Procter & Gamble had every big brand. Do you know why those bands have been so big for so long? It's because no one else yeah. can get on TV. And you buy what is jammed down your throat. And that's all you could do was you watch TV and they told you that you were buying, you know, Colgate toothpaste, right? Now all you buy is Colgate toothpaste because that's on TV. But then you start to get all these tailored messaging and it lets these smaller players come through. One of the best examples I've seen on it is look at what happened to Billabong clothes. They used to have it and now Facebook's allowed it. Facebook, when it came through, allowed an Instagram, allowed all these smaller surf brands to come up. I mean, look at uh, thrills out of Byron Bay and all these, you know, I'm from the Gold Coast, I've seen them all come through. But they can they can hit you on Facebook, they hit you on Instagram. Mm. I haven't seen anyone in Billabong clothes in years and the share price is tanked and it's all over. Yeah. Surf yeah. just tanked because no one buys the big name yeah. brands so, anymore. Yeah. They're starting to revitalize themselves by picking up these smaller brands, but that's just a very small example of what can happen to these big defensive companies. So you look at, you could buy the S&P 500, which has a lot of these defensives, it has your Walmarts, it has your, your consumer defensive names, but they're all structurally seriously under threat by all these little changes that data's driving. Look at the personal assistant market, right? So you're talking about Alexa, Google Home, uh, Siri. So fun start I was reading when, um, when I was looking at this. Between Google Home and Alexa has had the fastest uptake of any technology in the history of the US. Wow. Little personal wow. assistants. Oh, wow. They've only been out for less than 12 months. So it's essentially a war going on at the moment over these personal assistants to see who wins. It's like the old... And at the moment, they're a fun toy. Oh, yeah. what's the weather doing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you, if you saw Google the other week release the Google Assistant making a phone call, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. scary, right? Yeah, yeah. How good it was. Yeah. Um, so the, these things are taking over. And then when the personal assistant comes in, think about, think about this world is... You've got Amazon linked up to your Alexa and you've got, we talked about, you know, Colgate toothpaste. Mm. Well, you go, uh, Alexa, you know, I need to buy some toothpaste. You think Amazon's going to stop Colgate? No, you'll be, you'll be having Amazon toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon don't even sell Duracell or Energizer batteries. Wow. So you need, so your batteries and your remote come out. Yeah. You go, oh, you think you can get that? No, 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 I need some batteries. Bang, Amazon. Yeah. The next day at work. Yeah. Amazon batteries are right here. So, I mean, we're only really, like, we're looking at penetration in the US of 50% of all online sales go through Amazon. Mm-hmm. Like, it hasn't even happened here. Yeah. So, this is what, I'll revert back to an investment sense because I do like talking about these stories, but you revert back in investment sense. So you go, well, why would you own Woolworths okay. when, <laughs> why would you want a long term investment? Like, I'm talking, I, I, I'm actually the best through Woolworths. There you go. <laughs> I've had a good run on, on, on catching the rebound. <laughs> yeah. What I was saying is long-term. This is all about long-term positioning. The, as I said, the three of us sit down and we look at our portfolios and say, we're trying to build these things so that we've got something to retire on, right? In a world where data takes over everything, personal assistance, your, your phone talks to your assistant, talks to your fridge, mm. talks to your car, mm. and it knows everything about you and this whole internet is deeply personalized and your stuff's just auto-filling itself and Amazon's dropping it at your door is if Amazon knows everything you're doing, you're just ordering through them. And that's where you end up in a world where your consumer defensives are are going to struggle because they're not able to have the share of voice. You're getting whatever Amazon gives you and it's just doing it automatically. Mm. And you'll just end up tied to it. You won't even think about it and you'll go about your life because it'll be so easy. Easy. Structurally, (laughs) buy these four stocks because they're just too 
powerful now and the world's moving towards where they want it to be. So I guess here's the question that comes out of that. If there are the four that are just so dominant, why would you buy MDQ? Why wouldn't you just buy the four? I mean, MDQ is quite dominant, but the other thing, there's a lot of opportunities for other things to come through. So, you know, NVIDIA is the chips in all these things. So they've got huge earnings. Mm. I mean, the other thing is, you know, I'm talking about advertising revenue on YouTube. You know what the second biggest sport in the US is now? Gaming. More people watched eSports last year in the US than watched the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. I went to South Korea a few years ago, and it's like that national pastime. Oh, yeah. It's just huge. We've got the AFL team buying buying eSports teams. So they had, oh, I won't remember the exact stats of the numbers on this. So they had a draw in the US, so they're creating a league. I think it was for... It's the one they're all playing at the moment. It's not Fortnite. Star- Starcraft? No, or... it's not Starcraft. It's not Fortnite. It was another sort of first-person shooter that's not Call of Duty. Oh, anyway. You're asking the wrong people. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so this is the first-person shooter they're playing all at the moment. They were creating a league for it, and they sold league rights. You know who bought every single league right? Was an owner of another professional sports team. And the, and wow. the numbers they paid were high-water. So these guys all own esports teams. Now, esports isn't going to be played on the SPM. Esports will be played on YouTube. Yeah. YouTube get the advertising revenue from that. But you want to buy NDQ. You've got Activision Blizzard in there. You've got NVIDIA who are doing the gaming chips. You do have a lot of other things. So Expedia's in there, Priceline. You've got TripAdvisor. There's a lot of these other web companies that, yes, these guys are controlling the data, but they're still directing them to, you know, TripAdvisor's finally been able to monetize their platform. Great platform. Here's that when I've traveled for years. Yeah. Now they're finally able to use, the, now they've been able to monetize that in terms of, oh, you're traveling here, put in your dates and we'll find you the best hotel, that sort of thing. The big guys are controlling the data, but where you're, you're actually getting a lot of good growth out of the things that move in on the other end. Yeah. I don't know if you're here for the conversation before where we said we have our sort of hypothetical portfolio for our listeners, but we put NDQ in, I think, almost a year ago as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. We bought it at 12 bucks, I think, so it's now 16 something. Yeah. It's doing well, but as always, as we said before, everything comes with a risk. And very briefly, because I, um, we've got a couple of other things to yeah, yeah, yeah. move on to, but you know, with the recent problems that have come through with these big tech companies, you know, Apple has been done for a data breach, and you know, they're facing a lot of scrutiny now from regulators. Do you think that this is going to impact these companies going forward? Like, they're going to come under much more scrutiny. It might start to affect their earnings, these sorts of things. Yeah. So, it's, like, regulatory risk is certainly probably with near term one of the one of the bigger concerns for these guys now Apple for example go through go through it later actually remove it from our ethical fund just because of that broad controversy and were they responsibly using it did they do it appropriately there's a number of incidents now ultimately we think that you know that they will likely clean up their act and, and come out with ways to really you know, use this data more responsibly but yet you know with regulatory risk and and Regulators trying to come to terms with this data world. Um, there may be some near-term volatility. Ultimately, we're talking about positioning portfolios for a very long time here in a changing world. So, you know, do you, do you, do you wait for do you buy pullbacks? In it? That sort of thing. Do you wait for your entry points? You sit in there. But ultimately, I think long-term, are we overly concerned? Should you be overly concerned really about you know tightening regulation on someone like Facebook's business model? And I think you know probably not so much. Um, Facebook's core business it's about using consented data to target advertisers they don't have to share that data with the advertisers to be able to generate money they basically can target this info without ever telling the advertisers the data they've got and as long as that data is held 
tightly, which it largely is. The Cambridge Analytica thing was a bit of an anomaly, and that's really been stamped out. They probably should have seen it in advance, and they should have actioned it when they found out about it, which is two big problems. But now, I mean, the whole thing with that was, you know, a third-party app then got access to all of your contacts. That was obviously just an oversight on their end, and then they sort of tried to sweep it up the rough. So that's a big problem. But ultimately, okay, you clean that up. Their business model essentially is not reliant on them sharing data with advertisers. The advertiser just says, you know, I want, go back to the surfing thing, you know, I want 18 to 18 to 30-year-olds who are constantly checking SwellNet every day and I want to send, and I want to make sure they send wet sets. And there you go. Yeah. Um, Facebook, that revenue model is intact. They don't have to tell the guy anything. They'll just make sure you're advertising target. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess that's a good segue into our second theme. If data is so valuable and, you know, it's the new oil, well, then people are going to try and steal it. So that brings us on to cybersecurity, which is also an uh, ETF that BetaShares offer. So I guess to start with, why is cybersecurity A, so important and B, a good investment? Okay, so... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We talked, um, it, it's a really good segue actually and I think these two tie together exceptionally well because you just talked about regulation being risk. What are the regulators going to demand more, more protection of data? So even if you're holding these guys in the way about regulator at risk, well, regulations come in require them to protect it. Well, your cybersecurity companies win in that world, right? I think, you know, the interesting thing about something like, um, like investing in cybersecurity is really in investing you want to take, you know, this is the core, this is the big thing. Maybe I look at it, but I take a layer back and I go, who's the real winner in this world? And I think in a world where data is so important and automation as well, like you're cutting people out and you know you have laws around people stealing data laws, uh, or individuals taking private knowledge away, where well, you replace them with a machine and someone can get into that machine, well, you've got to pay to make sure that that thing is walled up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think Morgan Stanley did some research and, and, and they were talking about banking data and cloud storage, for example, and they said about uh, around the, the leaders in their research coverage universe, about 20% um, have got cloud data storage. They estimate all banking, uh, uh, 80% of banking servers will be cloud-based by just after 2020. Right. That's a lot of banking data stored yeah. online. So you've really got to be able to warm it up. You know, that gets expensive with all this data moving around. It's increasingly, increasingly complex. I think some of the stats are pretty interesting on this, right? Yeah. So I've got a few of them here because obviously I don't remember them all. <laughs> but, uh, so there's things like, okay, so cyber attacks are the fastest growing crime in the US, right? So Symantec, who are one of the big companies that actually they reported um, that ransomware infections doubled last year. This is how quickly this is. Ransomware attacks doubled from 2016 to 2017. Uh, about 25% of those hit businesses. The FBI estimated last year that ransom payments close to a billion dollars. People just pay at a government level. So the US government has identified this as the single biggest threat. US government spent 19 billion on cybersecurity last year. That was up 36% on the year before. So you're getting these huge increases in attacks as things become more connected mm. and as data becomes more valuable mm. and automation comes into play more. And that just, that just becomes a, sh- a bigger line on every business and the winners are the guys who obviously want to have to you know, provide these services, right? One of, one of my favorite ones is that, um, so cybersecurity ventures, they run... You can you access the report every year. It's quoted by pretty much everyone in terms of statistics. We look at it. The other guys who run cybersecurity ETFs in the world talk about it a lot. But they said that cybercrime at this rate is going to cost the world about $6 trillion annually sure. hey. by 2020. At that level, it's more profitable than the trade of all the legal drugs combined. Wow. Wow. wow! So there's obviously not one Pablo Escobar running around holding it all, but you know this this is just a world where these guys get in, they get their ransomware, and they charge you a little bit. You know, anyone who's had, who knows a small business comes in, they you know they're like, like pirates, and you mm. just end up paying them. That's why I'm saying the ransom payments came so much because mm-hmm. they don't. It's, it's a bit of an honor among thieves. Thing. They don't ask for the world. <laughs> but they do these little things and they go, oh, man, that's kind of affordable, so I'll just pay. Yeah, 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 That's yeah, what yeah. ransomware is. Yeah. So it's an interesting one because it's a space that I'm certainly interested in and I'm trying to, trying to get my head around the companies that are in this space because they're not the well-known household names of Facebook and Amazon no, and Google. Not. But, I mean, well, from what you're saying, it sounds like there's going to be incredible opportunity for some big name players in this space to make a lot of money over the next couple of years. So the big name players are really consolidating at the moment. This has been a it's it's been a hot space for activity. Um, ultimately, it's it's one of those things where you know there is a handful of really big guys doing this, and it's like the big guys in this, like your Amazon, your Facebook, Apple. They're consolidating the industry at the moment. This is what's happening. It's probably you know real benefit of an ETF I think when you talk about thematic investing that's where ETFs really start to shine we could all understand that cyber security is a great thing and you know what this is going to be a massive industry but as an investor it's very difficult for us to to not only identify the theming of that right but then to identify which company and then as an Australian investor having to look offshore where we have very little information edge because there's just not that many in Australia that we can get exposure to so it's sort of a case of yes I get the theme I'll use the ETF and so we've got 33 companies in this index, mm. right? Now, we have liquidity filters so that we're not just buying everything that 
tells you it's a firewall. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you actually have to be a real company. Yeah. yeah. And now a lot of these, you know, a lot of these companies are in exceptional growth phases. So you know they're not. Most of them just were like big tech companies do. Amazon only just reported a profit. I think they did that accidentally. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Web Services just ended up making it so much profit. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jeff Bezos has never not reinvested in himself in his whole life. He's mm. probably the greatest manager in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, so these guys are all reinvesting themselves and growing. But yeah, I think the, you know it's a it's an area where we're seeing a lot of com- consolidation and the big companies really thriving. So just on that, I, I don't know if we've touched on it yet, but BetaShares offer an ETF in the cybersecurity space yep. called Hack, H-A-C-K. And I'm just looking at the info sheet here. And so the last month fund return has been 4.99%. Three months has been almost 15%. Six months, almost 17%. And year to date is almost 20%. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's huge numbers. Oh, I mean, it's similar numbers to what you're seeing in the tech. In, in tech, that's actually similar numbers to what our... X20 index did. Mm. So everyone's remembering that if you actually rip out the large caps in Australia, we did over 20% in 2017, right? Wow. So NASDAQ did similar things. Like Google did Google did 30% last year. They grew their earnings by 25%. So for a sector of the market that has this much growth potential, mm. it's really been actually going in line with the market. It's not, it's not flying through the roof. Yeah, right. Um, and considering, I mean, you look at... So Palo Alto is yeah. the biggest holding in never the heard of them. Yeah, never. They're, the, they're the most. They're, they're basically the big guy. They are fully diversified and they are growing rapidly. So I think the numbers are last quarter of the company, you know, fifty three percent year over year customer growth. You know, so these guys are reinvesting in themselves heavily to mm. capture growth and. Ultimately, again, I don't think you're paying outlandish valuations for the kind of growth you're seeing in this index, and especially not for something, you know, it's still a thematic product. It's not, you know, we talk about corn thematic here in investing, right? So Amazon, Facebook, Google, one of these NASDAQ companies, this broad index, very much cool. You can sit there and go, oh, you know, they're the, they're the ones that you want to be, your, your big, large caps. Whereas Hack probably sits in the thematic bucket, which for most people would be a smaller part of the portfolio. But, you know, I think you're still buying an area that's just got potential for exceptional growth. If you believe ultimately that, you know, data's the new oil and these guys are a new commodity producer and it's going to be such a big industry down the track, you're not paying outlandish valuations. So let's move on to the third theme, which isn't related to technology per se. It's about ethical investing and uh, investing sustainably. This is, a, this is a funny one for me because my first question whenever I hear about an ethical fund is h- how do you determine what is ethical? Like what, what standards do Hipp- we... Hippies, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very difficult. Because, you know, one man's ethical is another man's exactly. not ethical, I guess. Exactly. So, so what, what does beta shares What do we do? Yeah. We take the broadest approach possible. Look, our ethic fund, ETHI, that's our global version. We end up with a hundred large cap stocks. Okay. We start with you know, six and a half thousand. We end up with a hundred. When you're going for a hundred, let's you be pretty strict, and you do end up with the big end, of, the big end of town in there a lot of the time. But we took the approach that you've got negative exclusions, and then in, in we wanted some positive screens as well that promoted environmental sustainability on a negative exclusion basis. We try to be the strictest, and we believe we have the strictest screen for the Australian market. And you generally find that you know people either either investing, you know, a lot of them are on morality grounds or you know investment mandates that constrain them from investing in certain things. And you end up with a lot of 
Um, it's alcohol, tobacco, firearms, pornography, yeah. that sort of thing. And then you've got a lot of environmental investors and most of them actually got mind crossing over. And so for, for a lot of the environmentally conscious investors, that's where we come to by excluding fossil fuels, excluding fossil fuel lending. And that's where you end up. And in the world of you know responsible, social responsible investing, we've actually found that crossover. Um, neither side need to really mind. So just with that, fossil fuel lending, so you know, if a bank is lending to BHP, Adani, they're out. Our Australian version, FAIR, has none of the big four banks. Really? Wow. That's Bendigo because Bendigo no longer lends uh, any fossil fuel projects. Wow. Yeah. That is that is a much stricter standard than I thought. We yeah. are. We, we try to be the strictest. Because ultimately, you know, there's, there is conversation around you can use this as a core. And then if there's other things you don't mind, you can build out around that. But yeah. at least you know when you're buying an ethical product that is true to label. True to label drive everything we did with this. Yeah. Um, do you do you find that some of your competitors are a little bit laxer, or is the the yeah. screen pretty similar? Yeah. I mean, what existed in Australia was nothing like this. There was an Australian ethical product listed on the market, for example, which only screen was for armaments. There isn't an arm that's produced in the ASX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have an expensive <laughs> ASX down to fund. Right. Mm. Yeah. So seriously, that was a thing. Yeah. By market cap, it was the same. So so the top weighted uh, company in the FAIR, the Australian Sustainability Leaders, is ResMed. Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. I want to talk about this because if, if someone who has sustainability in their mind in terms of, you know, solar power and that sort of jazz... The top 10 companies here, you've got a bunch of healthcare, a regional bank, yeah, so this, a, 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 a property developer. So it's kind of like... Uh, so this is Australian. This is Australian ethical. And again, it yeah. comes down to the same thing that we spoke about before is, you know, you can't... If we would only go and invest in companies that were doing, you know, solar panels in Australia, yeah. you know, help with it. Nothing. <laughs> pretty obtuse yeah. basket. This is a core for many people's portfolios, yeah. right? So it's as yeah. much in Australia as about excluding yeah. um, as much as the inclusions. Yeah. When we go to the global one, you can end up being a lot, you get a lot more data on the global. You can be, I think, a lot more positive in, in the environmental side. Hmm. So we actually get data for the global one from Truecost or an S&P, our Jones company. And basically what that is, is to get included, once you've passed all the screens to be included in the index, you have to be at least 60% more efficient than the industry average, which is a pretty high hurdle. And a very good for carbon efficiency, right? So you okay. carbon footprint. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You've got to get ahead of myself. But <laughs> the best example of that is Apple. So Apple made a commitment to have no carbon footprint across their supply chain by the end of 2018, and they're already there. Wow. So Apple doesn't have a carbon footprint. That's sustainability and caring about the yeah, environment. Yeah. So they're actually making a positive impact. That's incredible. Because yeah. their supply chain obviously stretches yeah. to China and everywhere else and back. Exactly. How do they net that out? So, like, obviously they're using fossil fuels to move products. Like, they're not they're not using, like, Tesla's yeah. shipping to, to yeah, get so things. They're doing a lot of pro- environmentally positive projects. Yeah. 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 Planet so or- Yeah, there's a lot of their funds for, for, thing, for basically those sorts of projects that, that net themselves out. Wow. And so what do you use to verify these sort of claims like? True cost. So S&P Dow Jones compile the data, a okay. group called True Cost, and we use the data that they provide um, and it's basically industry leading. So they analyze all of that and pass it through to us. And how often do you review these? So interestingly with both is this is part of that, you know, being true label is that we review every 12 months, we review the basket. 
Um, but we also have a responsible investment committee, which we think is really crucial to this. So they're not there to make any subjective decisions. It's not an active fund, but what they do is that element of human oversight. So in ethical investing, well, there's a lot of grey area. Mm. And best example, we actually had to pull Facebook out of Ethy yeah, over the controversy, so we removed it. Okay, and that was a decision of the responsible investment committee, who we had the ability of human of, of human oversight to say, look, data is not really something that people have considered before, but Facebook's just shown that they've been, you know, very lax in the protection of it. They let Cambridge in. They haven't got the. This isn't really someone who wants to invest in an ethical product. This isn't, you know, their cup of tea. So we'll pull it out because we have that human oversight. So we have that review process as well. Okay. Yeah. So with, with all these ethical funds, and I guess, you know, this comes down to people's individual choices, but an argument that I've heard is that people shouldn't invest ethically, rather they should invest to make money and then spend it ethically. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, take Take a look at the performance of these two funds versus their benchmarks. So the, the actual data that's coming out about companies that have positive ESG practices and their performance, you know, it's pretty. It's actually fairly, um, fairly astonishing. I've got something here that um, where they go? They did some research on it. Morgan Stanley did it, and they looked over over a long period and found that if you invested in a portfolio of businesses that monitored ESG, each dollar invested would have been worth $14 over a 20-year period. What was it? No, $14 was the benchmark, $28 was the ESG one. Oh, wow. wow. So yeah, doubled. Du- doubled it. Yeah. So if you actually have a look at the performance of, of Ethi versus the, the Misky world, it's outperformed on basically every time frame. The only year it didn't was when there was a mining rally in 2015. Right, okay. Same thing with FAIR. You end up with a really good diversified mid-cap portfolio in Australia, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You end up with a lot of exposure to tech and healthcare in, in Ethi. It's interesting. The other thing I think long-term about performance that's really interesting to note is people are coming to ESG in a way for fossil fuels is because you know, we're talking about investing towards the future, is what, there is actually a quite tangible risk to, to the long-term sustainability of these fossil fuel yeah. companies. So, I mean, technology, we, can, we can get our energy from the sun. Well, we can't. We just have we haven't worked out. The technology will find a way. Yeah. So the terminal value in these companies, you know, it's, it's not particularly great. Yeah. So... I mean, I think a real interesting one, um, so last year, this gives you an example of you know, the, the real thoughts on, on the future for the fossil fuel industry, is Norway's sovereign wealth fund mm-hmm. sold all of their oil and gas investments last year. Wow. $35 billion worth. Wow. Which is ironic because a lot of that sovereign wealth came from oil and gas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Norway's, Norway yeah. is one yeah. of the biggest um, people <laughs> oil producers in the world. Yeah. They sold it all. Yeah. If they, th- if Norway knows it, Norway knows the oil market basically better than anyone. They're not, they're not the Saudis. They're not trying to, they're not trying to, you know, rot the oil market or, or you know, manipulate it. Mm. They just went. They obviously think that there may not be the brightest future yeah, in oil yeah, yeah. if the Norwegians who have intimate knowledge of it sold it all down. So, you know, there is a probably a, a, a you know, investment argument mm. that investing away from fossil fuels, which could be structurally challenged, isn't necessarily bad for performance anyway. The intrinsic thought is, oh, I'm investing ethically, I'm sacrificing performance. Well, by the time you run these screens over it, in a world where technology is really driving everything and it's you know, it's not the old coal-powered um, you know, fossil fuel world where 
oil drives everything. Yeah. I think we'll wrap up there, Adam. Yeah. I just want to go back over a bit what we discussed. So we, we looked at technology, which was NDQ. So this can be found, uh, bought on the ASX. Yep. Uh, NDQ has uh, the follows the index of the NASDAQ top 100 companies. So you Facebook's, Amazon, all that sort of stuff. And then we discussed cybersecurity. And yeah. that was exciting. Massive potential there. Yeah. I've, I've actually got an interesting one because I, I sort of went through it. And I've, I've got a good example that people quite like. So this will show you that the um, the scale of what can be done in hacking at the moment. So this was a recent one that Darktrace used and they didn't tell you who it was. So we talked about the Internet of Things. You know, that's where a casino in the US a few months ago got hacked through the thermometer on the fish tank. What? What? In their lobby. What? <laughs> so you're joking. Because all of these things, so this is this shows. So the more the, the, so yes, the whole thing is the more things that get connected, the more yeah. you've got to secure. And everyone's yeah, worked yeah, out yeah. that oh, like you can get we, into we've it. got that. We've got this. Oh, we'll hook that up. That's great. Yeah, yeah they can get in through that. Yeah. So yeah, they got in through the thermometer in the fish <laughs> tank. Got into the main and took the data for every high roller in the casino. You're joking. Wow. So that was hack H A C K. Yeah, an ETF that you guys run again if buy through the ASX. And then we looked at sustainability, and you've got Global Sustainability Leaders ETF, which is FE E T H I, and it's uh, that's a global one. Global one. And then you've got an Australian Sustainability Leaders ETF, and it's Fair F A I R. Yep. Both again found on the ASX, traded like normal stocks, and again very interesting concepts and industries that are future driven. I think. I think you've given us a lot to think about. Yeah, yeah. I was just like to talk be um, uh, talk about a bit, you know, what we're seeing in the world and you know the reasons I think why these can, can form parts of portfolios, particularly for you know guys like ourselves and, and mm. guys and girls like ourselves who are looking to you know build our own super funds to last. Yeah, you know, hopefully. 30, 40 years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time, Adam. It was been, uh, it was very interesting. Really enjoyed it. Cheers, guys. Thanks for, thanks for coming. Thank you. Hello, mates of Equity Mates. Or I guess that just makes you Equity Mates. Anyway, it's Bryce here. One of the most frequently asked questions we get is, where do we find information about all these stocks and, and where's a good place to start? Now, we could do a whole episode on this and we often do touch on it, but the best place to start is by signing up to our Thought Starters weekly email. Each week, we send you some cool stuff that has caught our eye during the week, as well as some more detailed articles on stocks and invested-relating content. We also include Basics 101. These are articles tailored specifically for beginners to really propel you on your way. We don't spam you. I mean, we hate spam. It's once a week, and there's enough stuff in there to occupy you for a full day of browsing at work. Now, Ren puts a lot of effort into finding quality articles for you guys, so if anything, just sign up so he feels the love. Head to equitymates.com and chuck in your email at the bottom of the page. Equity Mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 